Good evening. Tonight we have two podcasts, so please bear with me as I get to talk to another old friend, LTS Benoza, a man of many vindictive words and is an avid baseball fan and has played since he was five years old. The dude has been a part of many an argument in recent memory, defending players from the steroid era and wants to set the record straight. We will further discuss the future of baseball, the most recent 30 for 30 title, Long Gone Summer, between Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, which is currently streaming on ESPN+. Plus. Again, thank you for your support. Please like and share my podcast. Please welcome L.T. Espinoza. Hey, everybody, this is Fair, and like I promised, I have my friend here, L.T., and... I'm going to let him introduce himself. How you doing, man? I'm good, man. You know, just hanging out, doing the thing over here. How are you doing? I'm just working from home, living the dream, trying not to go too crazy on this quarantine. Seems like it's a ever-ending quarantine. Yeah, well, you know, spending time with the family is never a good thing too much. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, you just want to jump out of a building. <clears throat> Hopefully, not um, a single story. Yeah, so I kind of wanted to just get this thing rolling. So I told everybody a little bit about you in a prior recording. So um, you're like my baseball guy. Like anytime I have a baseball question or I want some perspective of baseball, I've always kind of bugged you and asked you any questions that you had, and I really wanted to tackle some some really like polarizing conversations about baseball because obviously like it's America's pastime, but it feels like it's about ready to pass away. So um, I felt like what better, a better person to ask than, than you. So I guess my first question is what does baseball mean to LT? You know, baseball means a lot of different things, to a lot of people, but I mean, when I was younger, baseball is my escape. You know, it's, it was my escape. My parents got divorced when I was young and it was one of the only places I found comfort after that. And, you know, it was something my dad loved and it was a bonding way for me and my dad to get along and do things together. So, I mean, I wanted to be like my dad no matter what. And it was one of those things that just, he did it. So naturally that was what I wanted to be and wanted to do in my life. Yeah, man. Like I remember you playing in high school and what, what, what position did you play third base or was it catcher here uh depending on the year depending on where i played i was mostly a catcher but uh, our senior year my junior i ended up in the outfield i ended up at third i ended up at first (laughs) it was just kind of wherever i wanted really wherever they wanted to plug me in at because i hit that's awesome so what is your great greatest memory in baseball playing or just watching the game you know honestly my greatest memories probably aren't even about me i mean it's I've met some really great friends who I'm still friends with to this day playing baseball, you know, and, and playing softball as well. And now that we're older and we don't play baseball anymore. Uh, my kids, godfathers, matter of fact, they're, I met them both when we were younger through baseball, you know, we've been friends ever since. And it's, it's kind of crazy, you know, that that long, that long, I mean, you're talking 20, 25 years that I've been playing and hanging around the same people. So it's 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 kind of crazy. Yeah, the camaraderie that often comes with sports and comes with the military is um 
it really is a special bond that you you kind of develop. Um, so I, I guess just to move on, uh, the Mark McGuire, Sammy, Sammy Sosa 30 for 30 that we both talked about um, prior to this whole podcast really had me kind of in a weird position on the conversation because I've always personally believed that any player that happened to be a member of the steroid era and admitted to doing performance enhancing drugs that they, if, because baseball is such an analytically driven sport and it's all about the numbers, I've always felt like they deserve to be in the hall of fame with an asterisk and potentially two asterisks to say that they were that actually for performance enhancing drugs. But just to get the ball started, like what, how'd you feel about that documentary on Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa? You know, it's, it's a hard question and it's a, it's a tough situation. And if you look back in 94, when baseball had the strike, you know, it's labor stoppage and stuff. The game of baseball hadn't recovered by 98, you know, it was still down. And that summer that, you know, all this really stems around. And I mean, technically, if you think about it, McGuire didn't cheat. It was a legal substance. If you go back and look at it, that was not an illegal substance at the time. So when he says he didn't cheat, eh, he's got a, you know, he's got a point. But, well, in that in that documentary, it did say that he admitted to doing them, but he never specified what he did other than creatine. So I don't know if that if that no, is what he did Andro. Oh, did he? And at the time, Andro wasn't a banned substance; it was an over-the-counter available substance. Wow. Yeah. So I mean, you know, if you're gonna pick and choose who you asterisk and who you do those things to, you can pick any era of baseball in the seventies dudes are doing stuff called greenies, which is basically like an Adderall almost, you know, to get a, get an advantage, you know, in the eighties guys were crushing it on drugs all the time. You know, you think about how much drugs are going around in the eighties. And I mean, really what, what stat do you stop and say, Oh, well he was on steroids. So that's a stat that he doesn't get to have, or he has to have an asterisk by his name. Right. You know, it, and if you look at it, and like I said, dude, in, in the 90s, they baseball was dying. And that summer put baseball back on the map and made people remember what they loved about baseball. And it was the challenge and seeing guys do things that nobody else could do. For McGuire to go on, go on and hit like that, you know, in a new city and stuff like that, it was amazing. For Sosa to come out of nowhere and, you know, do the things he was doing – yeah, was he cheating? Maybe. But how many, if you want to go on that level, how many of the pitchers were on roids? Right. Is I it mean, really a performance enhancing if everybody's doing it? I agree with you on that. I mean, everybody was trying to get an edge back then. Yeah. So, I mean, I've met pitchers, you know, in person from back in that age, you know, Kevin Browns and guys like that. They're some of the biggest human beings I've ever seen. Like, those you know, are freaking probably 48, and there's no not an ounce of fat on them. Right. Tell me how that happened. I mean, it was really bizarre to me. And forgive me if I don't know names all that well. But um, most recently, like one of the more formidable sluggers that was in baseball, I think he played for the Milwaukee Brewers or something. Um, I don't know if you know off the top of your head, but he was a big dude. Was it Mel? 
he had a big beard. I think he was from like the Dominican Republic or something, but could be wrong. But <clears throat> my point is, is like the, the, the sluggers that we currently have in the, in the, in the game are not like they were back then. I mean, these dudes look like Zeus, you know, they were, like you said, broad shoulders, muscular, everybody knew they were doing something. And I remember in high school, um, I was doing creatine. Everybody in the in the weight room was doing creatine, and um, I think the public knew that these guys were doing something because it was almost a fiction how these guys looked. You look at Mark McGuire and so Barry Bonds, just to name a few, and these dudes are just yoked. And I think Mark McGuire would have went to the Hall of Fame even without help. I mean, the guy had one of the quickest swings ever. His technique was flawless. He was such a, he wasn't a five tool player, but he was definitely a, he wasn't a King Griffey, but he definitely was a guy that really played the game at such a high level earlier on in his career when he played for the Oakland A's that it's unfortunate that it it took the the late nineties to really put him in a conversation of whether or not he's going to be in the hall. So, um, so yeah, yeah. yeah, go ahead. I get what you're saying, but at the same time, I don't think it took that to get him into the Hall of Fame. You know, he may have been a Hall of Famer before, but that definitely put him above the ceiling of what the Hall of Fame was looking for. Right. I mean, I think it was in 87, he had almost 50 home runs. In 96, he had over 50 home runs. 90. And he had over 50 home runs. And then he had a two-year run there where he had over 135 runs in two seasons. I mean, the yeah. guy was just a freak. But so I think you've made your point. Like baseball holistically should look at that era for what it is and just say it it's unfortunate that it happened. But I, I love how the media pivoted around 2004 PEDs because totally buying into the whole thing until then because they were it, it saved baseball yeah so i love how they, they want to vilify these dudes and barry bonds by the way i think he hit like 70 what was it 75 72 home runs he 72, broke two i believe yeah i remember his last they, they aired every single one of the giants games that year i swear especially toward the end there and everybody knew he did peds because that was right when People began talking about it, but they were still cashing in. You know, the Giants were still selling out tickets, you know? Yeah, it was 73. Yeah, I think baseball. But so <laughs> in 98, in 98, when when Sosa and McGuire were doing the same thing, they would cut into their games every at bat for them. They would they stop were. TV and cut into the bats that they were, you know, chasing each other mm-hmm. and chasing the record. So, I mean, they did the same thing, and that's a lot of the reason why they brought baseball back to where it was, you know, but pre, pre-strike, pre basically. But has baseball ever really recovered? Because I think football, it's kind of like boxing. I think MMA is – boxing was dying without MMA, but MMA is a great alternative to boxing. Is football better than baseball now? I don't think you can ever – exactly compare the two it's not apples to apples it's a different sport there's the contact aspect and watching to see someone get hit 
watching to see a pass thrown over the middle and see someone laid out. Like you have a lot of people who are looking for a lot of different things. Baseball is more of a purest sport where it's you against the pitcher a lot of times and where football is a lot of different little games going on. You know, you have the game in the trenches, you have the game on the outside, you have the quarterback game, you know, seeing his defense and reading things. And you have a lot of little different things going on in football. And it's as much as everybody wants to say, it's a brute sport where you're looking, you're just looking for people to get laid out. There's a lot of mind tactics and, you know, strategy that goes into football that I think a true football fan will actually see. But I mean, even look at football, you know, there's a steroid error in football. Do you got, do, do they asterisk those guys tackles, catches, passes? That's a good point. I mean, even today, I mean, you got players currently in the NFL that did performance enhancing drugs and they get like a four game suspension. And, and yeah, definitely. I mean, everybody knows Lawrence Taylor did drugs. He did every drug. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he was he was hopped up on a lot of different things. So I mean, I'm almost positive he did cocaine in the middle of the game. I'm not even kidding. Oh, I'm sure he did. I mean, but that's again, that's that era in the '80s that it was. I don't want to say acceptable, but socially, it wasn't a big shocker. You know, you ran with those circles and you ran with the people who did those things, and no one was surprised when they're like, "Oh, he does drugs. Oh, he does drugs." Yeah, I, I don't know where sports is. I mean, obviously, we need sports really bad in this country, especially right now with COVID. And it it's clear to me that people are just they're 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 dying for something. The NHL just released that I think in a couple weeks they're going to start training and get the 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 regular season ready to go, and then baseball saying they're going to do a sixty game regular season. So. To my next question, do you think the 60-game model is better than 182? And if not, kind of explain to us why 182 games is like – is it is it too many games? So, I mean, with baseball, 162 games is a lot of games, and it does stretch out a long time. But with the amount of teams you have in the league – I mean, you have 30 teams in the league. You know, getting – I think it's more of a money ploy, 162 games, because you get to play a lot of teams you wouldn't normally play if you had a – the 60-game schedule, is, they're talking about doing regionalized games, you know, not playing everybody. But if you think about 60 games, what happens to the team that wins the World Series this year? You want to put asterisks on steroids and this and that? You can't tell me there's not going to be an asterisk on someone winning a 60-game season and winning the World Series. What I'm afraid of is it's going to go really well. I think that it, because everybody's just – people are watching NASCAR right now like <laughs> like it's nobody's business. Like NASCAR is getting so much publicity right now because of, because of it. The whole Bobby Wallace thing is one caveat, but people are legitimately just they're, – they're praying for something. Like they want something to distract them. Well, the biggest – the biggest deal right now is they're looking for something to watch. I mean, you have yeah. Korean baseball airing on ESPN. <laughs> there was a dude that was throwing a 48 mile per hour pitch on yeah. there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just, you have people, here's the other aspect of it. You have so many people in this country who bet on sports that it's insane. 
Korean baseball is now one of the number one betted on sports in the, in the world. <laughs> yeah. Just think about that. That is crazy. Just to yeah. think about. So yeah. I, I would still like to keep talking about though the 60 game format to me, I really think it, it'll be, every game is going to be televised first of all. Um, and on top of it being televised, every game's going to matter. So, you know, I feel like with baseball the way it is, it's 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 really a, a matter of can you get on base, the whole money ball thing, and then all the pitchers. Like, what happened to all the pitchers, LT? Like, I don't know. What happened to the Randy Johnsons and, you know, the – the, the, the Clemens is that could go out there and, and pitch for nine innings. Like what well, baseball became a numbers game. You're looking at matchups. You're looking at, you know, what this hitter's tendencies are. And when you look at things like that, you know, righty versus lefty, a setup guy who can throw 101 miles an hour for two straight innings, but he can't do anything after that. So you start getting the specialists and specialists turn into, well, this guy's better against righties, lefties, you know, and it turns into a game of you're trying to play the odds, just like the money ball aspect. You're playing odds, and more often than not, you're going to win those odds. Well, when you have a pitcher who throws, you know, after 60, 70 pitches, he's tired. His fastball de- decreases in velocity and things like that, so he's easier to hit. Well, why wouldn't you ha- carry more pitchers and use other guys to combat that? It becomes, I, mean, I, get, it becomes a I, mean, I get what you're saying, but from a purist standpoint, because it's always about the purity of the sport, uh, the Madison Baumgartners, for example, I remember when he was, I think, the pitcher for the the Cubs, and they played the Pirates here in Pittsburgh. And the Pirates were clearly better, clearly better than the Cubs that year. I mean, they had the best pitching bullpen. They had the best, like, overall roster. They were probably the best roster in baseball. And Baumgartner just needed to win one game in that wild card game. And they didn't, they only got one hit on that. One hit. So for me personally, like I have a real issue with baseball because of the volume of games, the, the, the notoriety of, of, of the player doesn't last as much anymore. You have like the Mike Trouts out there that are obviously a hall of fame talent that transcends the sport a little bit, but he's in Anaheim for Christ's sake. But for the most part, a lot of these pitchers, Nobody knows who the hell they are. Like, I, why can't we limit the amount of pitchers that a team's allowed to have? A lot like the NFL with the 55 or 53-man roster that they're now having to use. I mean, there is a limited number of pitchers that they have. I mean, I couldn't tell off the top of my head what it is, but you have to have a certain number of bench players and a certain number of bullpen guys and starting pitchers because if you don't, you're going to run out no matter what you do. You know, dudes, a lot of guys can't pitch back-to-back days. And that's another thing, you know, the stress on their arms is so much, you know, it doesn't matter how long you've been doing it. The stress on your arm as you age, as our muscles deteriorate, as things go bad, it all affects you. And I think that's a lot of why, because pitchers are so high paid these days, I think that's a lot of the reason why, too, that managers and and upper management are are limiting the number of pitches they throw because they want to get the eight years out of them that they signed them for and not just two years and have an arm blow out and he's done. Right. You know, and that's, that's a big issue too is injuries in sports. You know, a lot of it could be, you know, pitchers, 
it's it's funny because pitchers when they land, nobody thinks about the ground interaction. When you land, if you land in a hole that's a half inch deeper than what it was three innings ago, it's gonna you're gonna counteract it somewhere, and it's in your arm. Right. So, so you're talking about if like they got one or two pitches wrong, or they. No, it's it's overuse over time. You know, you say the third inning, the mound is still normal, whatever. Say the fifth inning, you have you know it's a half inch difference, so you're throwing a half inch deeper. Oh, and as you come down, what's going to counteract to make sure your pitch stays on the same plane? Your arm. So now you're putting more stress on your arm to counteract different things, and you know the stress on your arm. What does it do? It creates wear and tear. As the wear and tear goes on, multiple years. You know, that's when you start breaking down. Hmm. So, I mean, there's a lot of aspects to it and that people don't think about that people will go, whoa, I never thought about that. And, then, you know, it's just, it's different things. But back on topic with the 60-game season, the owners will never let 60-game seasons go. That's a third of the season, basically. Uh, a little more than a third of the season. So you're talking about a third of the money made. Yeah. They were I mean, talking I about this year if they canceled baseball that owners would lose nearly four billion dollars. Wow. So take that into consideration when you talk about even if this sixty game season goes well, there's no chance that the MLB or the owners will ever take a hit in finances like that. Have you been following the whole like negotiating process between the players union and the and the owners? For the most part, yeah. Um so why did it take so long to get that started? It started back in March. I mean, it started back when they started talking about this. They had a plan in place, but a lot of it had to do with pay. Originally, the owners tried to structure a pay system that was just, you were talking about giving more money to the lower end players because they don't make as much, but you were talking about Trout playing for like a million dollars a year or $5 million a year when his contract's like thirty. And really? it was just insane because the way they wanted to structure it basically flipped all the pays upside down. The lesser made money guys would get paid more of their salary than the higher end guys. And I think from the start, that's what pissed off the players because they wanted to flip something like that. In the end, I mean, this is a bunch of rich millionaires fighting with each other. Right. And when it comes down to it, the common fan doesn't, doesn't care whether Joe Blow is making... 200 million or Mike Trout is making 30 million a year. They just want to see the game played. Exactly. You know, but I mean, in the end, if you look at it, the owners are greedy. They want, they want to maximize their money. That's why they kept pushing for more games. The players are greedy because, and I don't, I wouldn't say greedy, but the amount of money players are making nowadays to play a game, a kid's game is insane. You know, you're talking 100, 100, 200, 300 million dollar contracts over 10 years. That's insane. And, and the team that can't see that. That's why they do it over 10 years. Well, yeah. I mean, that's 30 years. That's 300 million, 30 million a year over 10 years. Exactly. You know, and it's structured so that, you know, they may make 15 million this year, but in year nine, they're making 38, 39 million. Exactly. Because they expect to make up those losses as the years go on and as money and revenue increase. Yeah. You know, but I mean, look at, the all-time best contract in the world, Bobby Bonilla. 
he was getting paid by the uh, Mets until like I think some I think he might be still getting paid by the Mets to be honest. Yes. Like a million dollars a year. You know? Yep. I, I mean, and they looked at that contract back then, like, what the hell is he doing? Like, why would he ever why would he ever let a contract go like that? But the dude's still making money. And he's been out of the game since probably two thousand. Everybody listening, Bobby Bonilla was a retired outfielder. I think he retired like in the early 2000s. I think it was 2001. Yeah. And he forfeited. I think it was, was it this, was it the Cincinnati Reds or was it the Mets? Was it the Mets? It's the Mets that pay him still. Yeah. So the Mets basically, they had to restructure some contracts for whatever reason. And they opted to furlough his contract over the course of a certain period of time. But Bobby wanted interest. So he got paid on $1 million, $1.1 million. I think we're close to 30 over four years. Yeah, it's, it's like 1.93 or something. It's almost 1.2. Yeah, and it's, it's He's paid until 2035, I think. Yeah, yeah, 2035. I'm He'll be like 72 years old by that time. Yeah, isn't that crazy? But see, that that's a guy that, was smarter than everybody else in the room and good for him. I don't think yeah. anybody's mad at Bobby Bonilla for that contract. No, I mean, they pay him like an 8% annual interest rate. Like it's, it's insane. And that's why the Mets are the Mets. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, they were paying him when he wasn't even playing for them. Like he, I think his last year he played for like, the Cardinals. Yeah. You know, it's just, Hey, good for him. (laughs) So with COVID, so to move forward, so with COVID happening right now, baseball is going to have 60 games. I think it's going to have a good year because people are going to be dying to watch something that's not NASCAR (laughs) Um, or people playing games um, on ESPN two. Where do you see the future of baseball? Because I I think that I have some propositions that I don't think are going to actually stick. Like one, I think they need to cut it down two innings to seven innings. I think they need to limit pitch counts. So like four balls is it, it could take somebody could literally sit on on the mound and pitch to the same for up to twelve or thirteen pitches. And I I think that that slow monotonous part of the game, even though it's a part of it. For those watching it from home, it's very painful to watch sometimes. I usually got to do something else. There's not much drama to keep me drawn and interested into the game. Um, I think the pitching, I would love to see pitchers pitch like through a whole game or close to a whole game. Um, I miss Randy Johnson, man. I miss that. So what do you think about – we already talked about the whole pitching thing, but what do you think about those propositions? Do you think that would help the game, and do you see the game – ever getting back to the way it was. <sighs> Life is a cycle. You have highs and lows. It's a roller coaster always. You're always going to have the highs that come back, but you're always going to have something that happens that gives you a lull. So the game's always going to go up and down. I mean, it's done it since the beginning of the game. It, you know, It's always going to have its rises, have its falls, and in its falls, everyone's always going to talk about what they did wrong and where they're missing things you know, in the game. And that's understandable. That's life. With the, you know, changing the game 
to suit the minority. Because if you think about it, baseball is one of the most widely played game sports in the country, in the world. Everybody learns the game from a young age the way it is. When you change things in, in the game, it doesn't sit well with the purists and the people who, really the people who are the purists are the people who pay to see the game in live, in person. How many people do you know that go to a game because it's, oh, it's Friday night, I'm bored, let's go to a baseball game. Doesn't really happen. It's not a movie theater where you go for two hours, watch a movie and go home. It's not dinner with your girlfriend, you know. You have to go and watch the game to understand the game. And I think for a lot of just fly-by-night fans, which I'm not saying you are, but you're more of a football guy than a baseball guy. Right. I'll agree with that. So you get in depth in football. How would you like how do you like how would you like him to change the kickoff rule in football? It's a good question, man. What a spin. So I, I like I like the idea. The XFL kind of dabbled in the the whole I don't know, did you watch the XFL at all? Yeah. So I did like the kicking the ball and not running until the player received the ball. I did like that part because you know Troy Aikman said it best during the game. Really, it's a really collision-centric part of the game, and unfortunately, a lot of players get hurt during special teams. I would like to see it more organized and clean, and I, I would like to see them try the XFL model with that. Um, but I still think that the kick returner, Devin Hester, you are ridiculous. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Like the Devin Hesters, um, the the Deion Sanders, the the X factor of the game. It really forced teams to prepare for the grapple. Um, so yeah, I do agree in the kick return, but I do also support it being tailored a little differently. Because we've already pushed it back to the 25 yard line. They've already made it more beneficial, if you will, to, to, to kick it in the end zone, to get it on the 25, than to return it. Because how often are you actually going to get over the 25 yard line being in the end zone? So, so they put tweaks into it, but they didn't take it away. Right. So you're talking about taking away two innings, do a game to go to seven innings. You're talking about taking away that specialist X factor in a setup guy, a reliever, a closer. I, I okay, I agree so with that. You see where you see where I'm going with this? Like, I, I put in the terms of what you understand and what you're what you're super competent in. And I'm not saying you're not competent in baseball, but I'm just saying to put it in the terms that you understand, you wouldn't want to lose these things in your game because that's part of the game. Right. The biggest, the biggest hot topic right now is the universal de- designated hitter. They yeah. want to put in a universal designated hitter for the pitcher. Yeah, I don't like it. I don't like it either. <laughs> and but, then, but here's the thing: like, explain. First of all, I want you to explain that. But to your point, I'll, I kind of want to like defend my my position here. <laughs> Baseball, yes, the nine innings are great, but because of all the specialist pitchers that we're talking about in the money ball, it really takes the strategy out of it from from a t- just from a, a a basic person like myself watching it on TV because I have to know all those pitchers right some of them might only do an inning one might only specialize against left-handed hitters you know one might be a closer and might get you 30 pitches where I'm trying to get with this is that 
when we were growing up, man, pitchers pitched and they pitched almost the whole game. And then you would have a closer. Now you've got like different specialists for different players. It's an unbelievable. And I think that in, in its own way, that's kind of like tailoring it to the 25 yard line. I think the pitcher is the most important position on the field. And we're almost taking, it's like the quarterback in the NFL. And yet they've watered it down to the point where people don't even know who Baumgartner is. They don't know who these amazing pitchers are because they're only pitching five innings. To a point, I get what you're saying. But at the same time, again, the limited wear on their arms allow them to pitch for 10 years now because they're throwing a lot more pitches now. They're seeing this is the day and age where people want to see runs scored. People want instant gratification. It's I always go with my kids and I talk to them about instant gratification and how the slow play and putting the work into something is much more rewarding. The work that these dudes are putting in to become specialists and become five inning guys or whatever you want to call them is the same amount of work they put in to become a pitcher no matter what. But they specialize in getting one guy out. When it comes down to it, the game is about getting outs or getting hits. From a club standpoint, if this guy's going to get this guy out 75, 80, 90% of the time, I'm going to use him. Because in the end, for the club and for the organization, wins and losses are what matter. So if a guy specializes in one thing, I'm going to use him to my best of my ability in that one thing. It's like the X factor in it in football, you know, Devin Hester, he's great at kickoffs. We don't see him doing it very much else. Right? No. And, I, and again, in it. I understand that. I really do. And I, and I respect your position on it and it makes a lot of sense. I guess just from my perspective, it's really hard to get behind a pitcher in baseball anymore because they're not as iconic as they used to be. Does that make sense? Well, here's the thing. You look at these pitchers who are pitching like, pitching now. They are The numbers they're putting up aren't much different than the numbers these other guys put up in seven, eight innings. You still have dudes striking out over 200 guys a year. You still have guys with ERAs, you know, earn run averages of two, around two, which is the same stats and numbers these guys put up in the past, but pitching less innings. So has it really hurt the game for these guys? Because they're still mega superstars. You're just not seeing it because you're not seeing them over nine innings. You're seeing them over five or six innings. Are they pitching more frequently? Like, how are they no. getting to them? Well, some of the relief guys are, but your starters are still going every five days. But even back then, even in the Johnson, Schilling, Pedro Martinez days, these dudes pitched, yeah, they pitched seven, eight innings. But how many of the other pitchers on that staff did that? You can name Randy Johnson. Because you're from Arizona and you watch the the whole World Series and things like that, can you name another pitcher from that time frame who did Kurt Schilling? Kurt Schilling, Arizona, another Arizona guy, <laughs> bloody socks. Here we go. Next um, thing you tell me, Byung Young Kim was the best. Roger Clemens, another guy who was you know that era, but he had some issues too with steroids. True, throwing a bad was guy. Seeing a forty-three-year-old dude the Houston. Yeah, Astro managed to pitch the way he did. Yeah, and exactly. I mean, 
he had other circumstances around him that makes you remember his name. Right. But you couldn't tell me who, who pitched after Schilling and Johnson in the Arizona rotation. I have no idea. Exactly. So you can name two frontline starters from a, from a team that you were around because you lived here and you watched them all the time and they were on TV. But if you think about, you know, other than, you know, the mainstream, the Yankees, you know, the Diamondbacks at that time, you know, well, I knew, I knew Kevin up here. Him. Like I knew, I knew him cause I was a Royals fan, but yeah, I mean, you make a point. I mean, the Pedro Martinez's and the, 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 the Kevin, Kevin, Dave, the Kevin Browns and, you know, Randy Johnson's and Roger Clemens and Greg Maddox. I get, I get it. I do know some pitchers, but like, I get what you're saying. I didn't know all the different like replacements and, and relief pitchers and all other guys but i don't know i just growing up I, I i preferred baseball because the pitcher was ultimately the one that had the game in his hands and now it's it's a little different it's not so much that way because the like, pitcher is still who has the game in their hands it's just they use more of them now it's crazy you know and it's not that he doesn't have the game in his hands like you're saying it's it's the fact that he goes through the lineup, gets does his job, and then is relieved because another guy is there to do a specialized job. It's like saying you're at work. Your job is to, let's say your job is to test pencils, okay? You test the pencil lead, it goes on to the next guy to test the eraser. You specialize in testing the lead. This guy specializes in testing the eraser. The next guy specializes in getting them boxed. There's a position for every person. I mean, I get what you're saying, but again, <laughs> if your San Diego Chargers, like Philip Rivers, was your first and third down back quarterback, but the second and fourth down quarterback was a different guy. How would you feel about that? Tell me this: at the end of the game, are they winning? I don't. I would. I would hope so, given that that's the scheme. Then I don't care. You don't care. I don't care. As long as my team is winning and productive and getting results, why does it matter how you get the results? I get it, but it's just not sexy, man. It's almost like the Royals, as much as I'm a hardcore Royals fan, like it was really hard to watch them win the World Series because they it wasn't sexy, man. It wasn't sexy. But what's sexy to you isn't, isn't the same as what's sexy to a baseball purist. And you're talking about changing the game. Yeah. Or the game being different for the five percent of the of the fans. Five percent, man, you're really just throwing out numbers now. I mean, how many casual fans do you know that watch baseball that don't enjoy the game? Nobody ever truly admits to watching baseball casually because either you watch it or you don't. Exactly. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. You know, 5% is probably high in that case. Yeah. You know, and, it's, and I know it's just a number thrown out there, but you get the point in, in hearing it's a low percentage of people who don't watch the game for the game. Right. It's like saying, you know, and I'm probably going to get roasted for this, but it's like saying females who watch the NFL for Tom Brady. They don't understand the game. Damn. And if you put him in a scheme and your scenario scheme where he's the first and third down quarterback, quarterback. 
how pissed off would, would they be that their guy isn't on the field? Right. So that sexy aspect you give to it is the same aspect. They want to see their guy. And in baseball, unless you're a Mike Trout, unless you're a, you know, nowadays, unless you're a Manny Machado, Fernando Tatis, you know, guys like that, unless you're that mainstream line guy, nobody cares. Mm. They want to win. You want to, you want to go out. I'm a Padres fan. I want to go out and have them beat the Dodgers every time. I don't care who throws the ball. I want to see them beat the Dodgers every time because in the end, it's the Padres versus the Dodgers. It's not, you know, it's not Chris Paddock versus Clayton Kershaw, who are the two pitchers. It's the Padres versus the Dodgers. And that rivalry there transcends any amount of time and any amount of players who are playing the game. And see, to me, I, I, I respect the, the beauty in what you're saying, LT. I really do. But then again, I have this voice in my head that's screaming, LT, it's not working, though, because people aren't walking baseball like they used to. They're not going to the games quite the way that they used to. The sport isn't as popular as it used to be. So how do we get baseball to where the NFL is currently? And I understand the whole cycles thing. You've made that very clear. And I, again, it makes sense. But it took steroids to get baseball back on its feet. And I, I, I am scared from uh, just because I still like baseball, just not quite as much. That baseball is to lose its ability to have the best potential that it could possibly have because kids don't want to be baseball players anymore. Like that's what I'm afraid of. Like baseball isn't going to be the best players that on the planet that could wield a bat and, or throw a ball. Like it's just going to be people like LT who played in high school that were really good enough to play, but maybe not as good to play in the, in the eighties and nineties of baseball, but now can play because there's four hour falls. Like, I want baseball to be where it was. I want it to be the best it can be. And I don't feel like currently it is necessarily doing that because of the dilution of the image of the player. I get the Padres versus the Dodgers rivalry. I get that. The Red Sox versus the Yankees. I mean, there's those really iconic rivalries. But those are big market teams. Padres, not so much, but those are larger teams that have real dead rivalries. But outside of that, there are another 28 teams or 26 teams that aren't quite getting the Nolan Ryans or the, the, the Pete Roses for the small market teams that really could have bolstered the, the credibility of the sport and, and got young kids to want to go out and be baseball players. You know what I'm saying? Like that's where I'm trying to so go. So there there's a few different reasons on that, and that's a whole nother topic because youth sports in general are declining. And where do you put that blame? Do you put that blame on the parents or do you put that blame on the kids? Video games. And I'm, I'm that that's kind of what I'm getting at. You know, where's the blame go? You know, video games are a big aspect of where the blame goes. And you know, there's kids in this country right now that probably have the most talent and most drive in the world, but the, you'll never see it. Because why? Because their parents 
allow them to drop out of doing things. And, you know, when I was young, my dad would have never let me drop out of baseball. Never. And you have parents now, myself included, because I don't force my kids to do things. I don't. If they don't like it, as long as they try something else, they have to play a sport. But if they don't like the sport they're playing, they can pick another one. They're forced to play a sport. And as funny as it sounds, and you know, growing up, we were never, I was a jock, I guess you would say. But my kids are forced to, to pick an instrument and play in band in school. You know, because I want them to have multiple ways of growing up and understand multiple people and be able to blend in any environment and understand that not everybody is great at one thing but you can be good at a lot of things, you know? So as far as, you know, baseball and the future of baseball and, you know, kids and things like that, it's going to take a culture change more than it's going to take a baseball change. And like I said, that's a whole nother topic and, you know, something that I have strong feelings on too, but baseball is going to die out for a while. I mean, it's just, that's what happens when there's labor stoppages, you know, and people fighting over money. People lose interest. It's going to have a lull. It's going to have a few years where everybody cares about other sports. But why does... Right now, though, it's going to be whatever sports come back first. People are going to invest in it. Yeah, NASCAR. So, (laughs) golf. Golf, yeah. To my point again, why is it always baseball that has this problem? The NFL has... 53 players per roster, plus they have a practice squad, plus they have, you know, um, a handful of kids on this free, on, on the, uh, you know, they haven't signed with any team that can potentially come onto the roster, a lot, a lot like Victor Butler did for the Patriots. Point is the NFL with all the players and with NHL with all the players. And basketball with all the players, why is it that they can somehow figure out the money crap? But yet baseball has redundantly had issues with keeping players on the field and happy monetarily. And I feel like they get paid the most. Not necessarily. You have football makers players making what, 10, 12? What's the highest paid football player right now? Well, your boy right Prescott, now. your boy Prescott just signed a one-year tender for what, 30 million? Yeah, but that doesn't count. Like, hold so- on. But hold on. Let me get where I'm going here. You're talking about $30 million to play 16 games, right? A very brutal 16 games, yes. You're t- and- hold on. Hold on. By the numbers, let's not go with what he does or what goes on. 16 games at $30 million. Mike Trout's getting paid $30 million in a full season to play probably 140 games. But Mike Trout stands around a lot. He doesn't matter. He still trains. He's not, he still works out. He still does everything else. I get it. But when you look at Mike Trout, the player, he's only going to get three or four at bats. And defensively, a night. a night, a night, a night. Yes. Six days a week. And he's on the road 80, 80 to 90 days a year. So you're saying that baseball players technically, technically get paid less per game. Yeah. But baseball players' games, like nobody watches Mike Trout every those six games. But football games, because there's only one, the games are worth more. I mean, they've actually, they actually they generate more revenue than one baseball game. I mean, even the Jacksonville Jaguars, well, how the how Jaguars? Explain to me how because Jaguars. the number of the number of 
attendees at each game Bro, isn't that much different. You get me a Jaguars-Indianapolis Colts game game on a Thursday night, and you compare it against a Sunday or Monday night. Can't do a Thursday night because that's a specialized night. What's up? Thursdays, there's nothing going on, so everybody's going to watch. That doesn't count. Okay. so you t- Okay, the- here you go. Here you go. Browns and Bears are playing in okay. Cleveland. Okay. You're telling me that that's going to generate as much money as the Brewers and the Pirates playing. Absolutely. No way. I want okay, to- you're going to tell me that the Browns and the Browns and the Bears playing is going to generate as much money as the Yankees and Red Sox playing. Okay, say that again. Yankees and Red Sox is going to generate just as much money as the Browns and Bears playing on one Sunday. I really do. You really think really- football is going to make more I'm money not- in that one listen, day? I, listen, I love that rivalry, but I would not be surprised if more people watch that football game than that baseball game. I'm not even kidding. I- Dude, I don't think so. But I mean, that's like I said, it's comparing apples to oranges because it's different sports. You're playing 162 games a year. 162 times a year, you're making whatever you make. You know, and you're telling me that playing 16 games a year is worth the same amount. Playing one tenth of the amount of games. I'm looking it up right now, man. We're going to figure this out somehow. (laughs) I don't know if they have numbers on that, to be honest. Well, no, I looked up. It says the Yankees Red Sox average a 1.5 rating and 2.4 million viewers on ESPN Sunday Night Baseball over the over the, the weekend. And this is um, this is Google. It's Google. I mean, it's, it could be for a year, but we're going to use it because it's we we said that. But I'm looking for the Cleveland, just the worst team in football. Over the last 20 years, the Cleveland Browns uh, TV ratings. I, I, I still think that, that that team probably is up there with that. I'm not even kidding. So the 2018 Browns had, a, had an average rating of 31.4 and an average share. I don't even know what the hell this means. They had a 3.5 last season. So there you go, man. The, the Yankees Red Sox average was 1.5 and I don't I don't know that I don't know what that what that means but football the Browns averaged three and a half okay three and and a half. one time no that's their average okay so 16 times yes okay multiply that okay so you look at 1.5 multiplied by what 162 right or at least at least I can because they play each other 20 times a year. Huh? I can respect your logic to that because there's more games. That number isn't quite as important. But but that's the problem. Like I if I had to choose between staying home Sunday night to watch the Cowboys play, because I'm a Cowboys fan, or going and hang out with my friends. Um, or to go to some like thing with my wife's cousin, I'm probably gonna stay home and watch that Cowboys game, or at least stream it on my phone. Like I don't give a shit about the Yankees Boston Red Sox game for for a lot of the stuff we just talked about. It's slow. I'm not missing much. I just got to get to the seventh inning stretch and then I can watch it. So I, I I like I said I love the purists in baseball. I love the math. I love the movie Moneyball. I. 
I fundamentally love that sport. I have a really hard time seeing it continue to move forward in its current format. But, hey, you've made some great points, so who knows? Who knows who's right or who's wrong? You're probably right. <laughs> no, I mean, everybody's entitled to their own opinion. Everybody is allowed to think the way they want. Dude, the Cowboys last year averaged 30 and a half million viewers last year. Let's put it this way. An average football game brings in, let's see. Average money made per football game is about, let's see. Uh, let's see. Come on, give me a give me an answer here. It's always hard to find a good Google. Yeah. But then, I mean, okay, so in the NFL, do they revenue share with the other teams? All right. So you said, do, do they revenue share in the NFL? Yeah. Yes. So shitty Jaguars and Browns, for instance, those are the two worst. Those are the most underperforming teams. And then there's the Jets somehow that are in the top market and the, the NFL somehow get down there too. Um, those two teams respectively get money from – it's socialism. They get, they get revenue share. <laughs> I bet you love it. I bet. Yeah, I love it. So they get money to keep them leveraged, and it benefits the the super rich teams because it keeps those teams competitive enough to make people want to watch those games. But fun fact, you're gonna, you're. This is why you're gonna hate the Cowboys even more. The Cowboys actually have a deal. In the NFLPA, so that this is the NFLPA labor relations um, yeah. agreement that they have with the players, and the Dallas Cowboys merchandise does not go toward the other thirty-two teams. The Cowboys collect everything on it. Every other team, if if you buy a, a, a Colin Kaepernick jersey, everybody thinks that they're supporting Colin Kaepernick. He does a little bit of the revenue sales, but the Cowboys are even going to get some money from that Kaepernick jersey. Not the Cowboys, the the Seattle Seahawks will get some money from that. The Chicago Bears will get some money from that. But if the Cowboys sell Ezekiel Elliott jersey, the Cowboys retain a hundred percent of that and they don't have to share it. Because <laughs> Cowboys games our Cowboys jerseys and merchandise sell ten times more than the next team. It's bizarre. It doesn't make me feel special being a Cowboys fan, but that's just how it is. But um to my point, like baseball I, I love collecting sports cards and, and i wish i had the passion about baseball that i do about football um but a lot of it has to go back to the fact that i'm i'm a basic bitch man i like to see i like to see the, the same names on the field i like to see them challenged i, I want to see those players exist and having to pull something out for love of the game man whatever happened to doing a full nine games no hitter yeah that's a special circumstance though and when a guy is throwing a no hitter going into whatever inning he's in he doesn't come out of the game i mean did you watch that movie which one for love of the game yeah is that is the most romantic dude movie ever (laughs) well let's just turn gay (laughs) no seriously like he's pitching to to give everybody some insight to this movie and I won't get too crazy but Jane Aubrey is um the, the character her name's it's Kelly Preston I think that's um 
uh, Grease Lightning's wife, and Kevin Costner, okay, um, is in this movie. And this dude is just reliving his entire career and, and, and his love for this woman that is clearly crazy. She's insane. But he's a bit of a dick himself, and you get to watch him pitch the no-hitter. It's his, it last, had, it's his last game before retirement. Yes, and it even had Vin Scully in it, which made it even better. Oh, I hate Vin Scully. Really? I loved his voice, man. Dodger guy. I'm a Padre guy. Whatever. But, but uh, yeah, man. So we'll wrap this up here. Um, I think that we covered a lot of good material here, man. It really morphed into more than what we thought it would be. Oh, yeah. It always does. Yeah. But um, I have you on again, man. Um, we could talk about, you know, football. We can talk about MMA, boxing, whatever. Um, what's going on with, with, with your boy, Kane Velasquez? I haven't seen him on the mat lately. He's done. He retired. Yeah, he's done. He's going to become a professional wrestler from what I hear. Like like a wrestler. Like, a, like say it again, like Greco wow. wrestling? So, like, no, he was getting into WWE. Get the hell out of here. He's going to be like John Cena. Uh, yeah, but uh, apparently so there's a bunch of backstories on that. I haven't, I haven't like divulged into it too far, but supposedly that's already over too. So I don't know. He's got the gym. He's got a bunch of things going for him. You know, is he we'll back? See. Is he back home or is he? Up He's in Cali. He lives in Cali. Wow, good for him, man. I love to see a good story. Getting Why out of the slums of Yuma. You look at Yuma, man. Yuma's produced. You know, three potential world champions. Four, if you, if you include Chance. Chance? You know, Ferrar? I don't know. He was the original, man. He was he was doing WEC. Wow. Things of that nature way back in the day before, you know, even Kane was. They also, he was probably also, still in high school or right out of high school. It also produced Brett Stallworth. So. Yeah, that's a whole story on its own. <laughs> your, your favorite coach of all time, bud. What'd you say? That's your favorite coach of all time. Man, I'm so petty. I, I of course I bring it us up in this podcast. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, he, he gives a better education to the kids of Yuma than anyone else. So Oh no you doubt. Know. Yeah, he's he's a god. Um in his own mind. In his own mind. In his own mind. The the narcissism is real there. Well, dude, thanks again for coming on. Um let's do this again. Seriously. Maybe maybe another Friday sometime. When you, yeah, man, I'm always up for a good conversation and proving you wrong. So, yeah, I'm all for being proved <laughs> wrong. So, right on, brother. All right, my man. Until next time, thanks for coming, everybody. Have a good one. Mm-hmm. Bye.